You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. I am uh, excited about this uh, episode that we have today. I get to interview you, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, you're excited. I'm nervous. It's good. Yep, it's good. Yeah, so in today's episode, we're going to find out how a certified financial planner uh, manages their own money, right? Right, right. And a uh, little reality check, have to, you know, confess all of your uh, all your financial secrets the way we ask clients to do. That's right. Yeah. And so this, this episode's kind of come out of some questions that we get every once in a while, uh, you know. A lot of times people think we have some sort of secret that we're keeping about managing finances. So we're going we're gonna to look under the hood today and see uh, how the mechanic fixes his own car. Sure. Let's roll. <laughs> All right. So uh, when it comes to managing money, Dave, what's your, what's your secret to success? Well, you know, the secret to success in managing money, whether it's my own or, you know, advice we'd give clients is always, you know, make a conscious effort to live within your means, right? Mm, and, yeah. uh, you know, that that is the first thing. And then the other thing that I think it, that I would say is kind of an overarching philosophy is flexibility and, you know, realizing that you're not going to get everything perfect. So do the best you can, make the best decisions you can. And I guess the third thing is balance. And I think, I think, you know, as financial planners, we see a little bit of everything, right? We see, we see people that haven't saved enough. We see people that have saved way more than they needed to. We've seen people that lived longer than they thought they would. We've seen people that didn't live nearly as long as they thought they, you know, nearly as long as they should have. And um, to me, you know, one of the big lessons as a financial planner that I've tried to apply to our own finances is is balance. It's, it's be prudent, you know, think about the future, save diligently, but don't defer all your fun for some later date. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that. And I really like the part about flexibility. I think that's so crucial that, you know, yeah, if you have a plan, that's great, but chances are it's not coming true. So right. what are you going to do when, when something changes? Right. And, you know, an example of that, I think, you know, that comes up often with clients is when we were saving for our kids' college education. You know, you and I are both big proponents of 529 college savings plans, but we didn't, you know, my wife and I and our, and our kids together weren't really quite sure what all the scenarios were going to be. So we didn't try to put 100% of what we thought our need was going to be into a 529 plan. So we'd have that flexibility to roll with changes and it worked well for us. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I, I guess the next big question that I have for you is, uh, do you have a budget and do you follow it? Wouldn't that be ironic if I answered no after all the time we've spent on this podcast beating up the idea of budgets? Right. So, yeah. so, so yes, I have a budget. Yes, we do follow it. And I use a computer program called You Need a Budget. Some interesting things though about my own budget and my own family and budgeting is, 
you know, a lot of clients would assume that budgeting comes natural to me or I wouldn't be in this business. And actually, it's the furthest thing from the truth. I'm not a natural budgeter. I came at it after working with clients and seeing clients struggle. It kind of, you know, it was one of those the collars kid have no shoes kind of situation where it was like, man, I need, I need to go do this. And then, you know, it's been a long time now since that happened, but there were, there was a period of time there where I wasn't taking my own medicine on that. And it created a lot more stress in my life looking back on it. My wife hates the idea of budgeting, but you know, we found, we've created a system over time that works for both of us. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell people this, you know, for me, Budgeting is the same mentality as dieting, okay? And that may not click with you because you're much healthier in how you eat than, than pretty much anybody else I know, Nick. Oh, <laughs> which, is, which is a compliment. But, you know, uh, the, same, the same mindset that makes you want to forget about, you know, you know want to eat the ice cream and enjoy it now and not worry about, what that's going to mean down the road is the same mentality around budgeting. And so, you know, for a lot of us, we have to make ourselves do that. So, but at the, on the other end of it, you know, you know, the, the fruit, the rewards of that when it comes to fruition is a lot lower stress level. Um, you know, budgeting, I think is, is tough for a lot of people. And what I love about, you know, about your, how you've done it is you've really found something that works for you. And I think, in the world that we live in, everybody's waiting for that simple, right. easy, quick answer. Like I just sign up for Mint and then all my problems go away, yeah. right? Yeah, and well, it's just like signing up for Weight Watchers or joining the gym. Exactly. You still have to do the work. Right. You still have to do the work. Not only do you have to do the work, but you have to find out the system that works for you. Right. Right? There's so yeah. many different things out there. Yeah. What is it that's going to work for you? And it's kind of an evolving process, I'm sure. Right, right. So, yeah, budgeting and dieting, man, we're really hitting all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of budgeting, um, obviously there's communication that goes into um, budgeting. So uh, when it comes to finances, not just budgeting, how do you communicate with your wife and with your family when it comes to finances? I'll, t- I'll tell you where we're at now and I'll kind of go back and tell you how we got here. But the way, the way we do that now, because Amy hates to budget. It's not her thing. But and, and she's very black and white. So budgeting is hard for her. And you, you know, you're either you're either being super frugal or you're not caring at all. And so what we do, I keep the budget. We both work and we both have incomes. So what we've done is I keep the budget. She knows that every month to meet our goals for saving and covering our expenses, she needs to put a certain amount of her paycheck into our joint account where, you know, we allocate it to the things we need to spend. And that gives her some freedom and flexibility for the part that, you know, doesn't need to go to our joint budget. And I have the same, you know, flexibility. So, you know, she doesn't have to, look at our budget and worry too much if she wants to buy some fancy wool and a sweater because she knows if the money's still in her individual account, that's it's hers to do what she wants with. And for me, if I see some weird old tool on 
eBay or, you know, need to do something like that. I don't, you know, we kind of each have our own little off balance sheet amount that we can do with as we please, but we know we can do that with confidence because we know that we're going to meet our joint goals and cover what needs to be covered. So yeah, I love that approach. Yeah. And, and what it comes down to is once a month, uh, usually on a Sunday afternoon, she, um, writes down she likes to do things on paper so she like puts down what she spent on what her groceries came to for the month and you know what her different expenses that do go to the joint budget came to and i punch those into the software and you know make sure that we did okay the previous month so that we can do it right the next you know as so i can go ahead and then allocate what we need to do for the next month that's how we do sure. it yeah no i love that i love the you know what i see a lot of times where people, especially couples, get into trouble is one person's doing the budget and they're dictating to the other person exactly right. what they can and can't do. And that I've never seen that work out right. well. Right. well it, it, yeah. And, and so, you know, she gives me her expenses, but then when I'm figuring out the next month or the next couple of months, you know, I'm going back and saying, okay, you know, we didn't spend as much on this as we thought we would. So I'm moving that money to, you know, this and, right. Um, you know, we thought of a couple of things we want to do. We need to start scrolling a little bit of money every month away for that, you know, trip next spring or whatever that is. So, yeah. so yeah, there's, there's those conversations and, and that's really what it's about. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in a situation now where budgeting doesn't really have to be too stressful because, you know, with the kid, our, our youngest is almost out of college and, uh, you know, we're in a position now where we've got a little more, little more leeway in our budget than we used to. So it's usually true. Positive. That comes with the hard work that you put in from the uh, beginning, right? The, mm-hmm. Those years of budgeting and paying attention, paying off. Right, right. To get to the point where you know, you know pretty consistently what your what most of your expenses are going to look like, and you've also saved. You know, been able to save so that the one-off things aren't a surprise anymore. And yeah, that take that takes effort on the front end, but you know, it's worth it on the back end. So, um, speaking of your kids, what uh, what do you tell your kids about money? How does that conversation <laughs> go? <laughs> so, so I have, I have two very different children, and uh, you know, one is one is twenty six, almost twenty six, has her first real world job, and she actually texts me when she's coming home to see if she can set up an appointment with me to go over finances and she knows her budget very well and is very responsible. I think she does a pretty good job finding balance. Sometimes she needs to be reminded that it's okay to, you know, do some fun stuff too. And, uh, but she knows what she's got, where it is and uh, what things will cost her. My other child isn't a problem from a budgeting standpoint. He doesn't really care about money. But he also doesn't really like to spend money either. So, it's, you know, it, it kind of it kind of balances out, I guess. You know, I don't really have a complaint about either of them in that regard. Sure, they 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 at least are are responsible and uh, and conscious of their. And, and you know, I think that's a lot of it with you know being a young adult. Maybe my kids are a little older and beyond that. But, you know, just just being conscious of of what's coming in and what's going out in a way that I wasn't when I was like 17, 18, 
19 yeah. in a way that I should have been. Switching gears a little bit. So one of the questions we get a lot, especially now, is I've got cash in the bank. Um, should I invest it? What's your, you know, what's your happy place when it comes to investing versus holding out cash and, and how do you figure that out? This is an interesting one because I think my like personal situation would maybe surprise people a little bit in that I do tend to, and my wife and I do tend to have, you know, fair amount of cash savings outside of investments. The way I approach that with clients, though, is pretty much the same as I do in my own life. You know, it's, it's first and foremost, figure out what the money's for, right? Hmm. And, and, you know, again, it goes back to the budget, but, you know, if, the way I look at it is if that's money that we're likely to spend in the next 18 to 24 months, it's going to be in the bank and I'm not going to worry about what I'm making on it. And right now I probably have more cash savings than normal because there's some things we've talked about doing that would be fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, despite the fact that bank accounts aren't paying anything, I'm more concerned with being liquid if we decide we want to do some you know, home renovations or some of these other things we've talked about in general then too. So, you know, we talk about risk with clients and we tend to talk like overall, like what your portfolio should look like. Mine, you know, my overall risk is maybe to the growth side of moderate, if you will, but it's, but it's lumpy. Right. Like I've got a lot of safe money in the bank. But then you look at my long term money, say, uh, you know, retirement savings, I've got, you know, it's wild and crazy, you know, full of yeah. uh, full of equity exposure, you know, rather than have it be having that market risk spread out across the board. It's, you know, my short term money is safe and sound and my long term money is wild and crazy because I know over the long term that'll pay off. Yeah, it just seems like, you know, you get people that are so worried about the cash they have and not earning very much mm-hmm. recently. And it's, you know, and, and sometimes yeah. we have to walk them back and say it's better to not lose money sometimes than it right. is to make it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you, you shouldn't keep more cash on hand than you then you reasonably need. It's just a question. So when, back to that idea of flexibility, when you don't know the answer to some of those questions, I err on the side of caution. There's sure. a good chance, you know, we I'm probably being a little too careful right now, but based on some things we've talked about, that seems to be prudent. But, you know, what, what we tell clients is kind of the same thing in a way, you know, figure out what you need for an emergency fund, contingency fund, I prefer that word, you know, and the, there's the old, you know, rules of thumb about three months to six months worth of expenses, you know, and, and we fine tune that with clients when we talk to them about what makes sense for them based on their job and, you know, what kind of weird stuff can happen in their life. It might be more, it might be less that they need. But then add to that anything you think you're going to spend in the next 24 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever that number comes to is what you should target to have in the bank. And if it's above that, then you can kick that into an investment account. And so, you know, back to the budgeting idea, part of what we do every month, I have a, you know, we we save into our employer retirement plans automatically. We don't even think about that. We try to do as much as we can there. And in our personal budget, then when everything else is met, and we know we're in a good place, 
every month we have a certain amount that goes into an after-tax investment account rather than just sitting in savings. But that's money that all things being equal is still going to be there at retirement. You know, I don't want to let the savings account build up just for the sake of letting it build up. I have a target in my head and every month, you know, what I add to my investment account, I have a set amount that goes in every month, but I try to put more in, uh, you know, and in most months I'm able to, but you know, that, that way I've got some leeway if the hot water heater dies or, you know, we decide to go on vacation or, you know, things change. It's, I'm not locked in with that full amount. It's flexible. I think that's a great point. And to go back to one of your earlier points, the you know offsetting of, yeah, you might have a little bit more cash and what people might think, but to offset that with the other investments and because you, you can take more risk in those because yeah. you do have cash. And sometimes I think people forget that when they're looking at investments and, and yeah. their whole entire picture and something yeah. that we definitely try to work with clients on. Yeah. So going to the other side of the uh, balance ledger here, um, what about debt? How do you handle debt when it comes to your personal finances? Yeah, great question. So I, I draw a distinction between like good debt and bad debt. And, you know, good debt is a mortgage. I don't mind having a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind having a car loan. But that's it. That's pretty much that's yeah. pretty much where I, where I draw the line. And, you know, there have been, there have been a few times in my life when I've had some, you know, a little bit of personal debt, you know, because we, it was easier than getting an equity loan or you know, doing something different or something we needed to do. But we've always been pretty conservative with that and tried to make sure that we never owed more than we could reasonably, you know, budget and handle. So, you know, and, and with car, you know, you can, you can finance a car really cheap. The big thing with cars, right, I'm not a car guy. I'm not a, you know, I need a reliable vehicle that I can get to and from client houses. I can get around in the snow. And, but it doesn't need to be, you know, the Maserati of cars that can get around in the snow, whatever that would be. I guess a Land Rover, you know, but. It, it just needs to be reliable and dependable, right? And, and I think that's where, that's that's a distinction too. Just because I'm comfortable having a car loan doesn't mean I'm ever going to overdo it. I have in my head a number that I'm comfortable making a payment every month. Mm-hmm. And I and I wouldn't, just because the, just because the auto dealership or the, the, the bankers would let me have a bigger car loan, I, I wouldn't do it. So, and that's, that's true. I think in general, that's true with housing too. You know, you need to be careful just because you can borrow more doesn't mean it's a good, good situation. You need to, you know, it, it's a little different now than it was 15 years ago, you know, pre-financial crisis. It was, it was a lot easier to borrow more from the bank than, than you should be able to. And now the banks have gotten um, in line, but you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that needs to decide if that mortgage payment, you know, do you really need that big a house and that mortgage payment? So, so anyway, I'm taking a long way to answer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with a mortgage on a house that fits my overall financial situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of those people that thinks I need to pay my mortgage off before I retire. I 
I have, a, you know, clients fall on both sides on this. I'll be one of those people that as long as mortgage rates are low like they are right now, I have a, I have a 3% mortgage and we just refinanced it. That would make me in my late 70s when it's paid off. I'm perfectly cool with that because yeah. for me, you know, at 3% locked in over the rest, over the next 30 years, I will invest the different, you know, I'll invest my money and make the payments from investments rather than try to pay that off faster than right. I have to, because I know over time I should make more than 3% cost on that interest. Yeah. I have also worked with, and I, I just had this conversation an hour ago with a client who really is just not comfortable, even with a low interest rate on her mortgage, carrying it into retirement. So we're making a plan to pay it off, you know, and, and so, you know, like so many of these things, what's right for me and what I'm comfortable with does not necessarily mean it's a one size fit all prescription for financial planning. You know, the way the way we talked about it with that client, and I know you've had these same conversations a hundred times, you know, for her, that three and a, she was at about three and a half percent on her mortgage, knowing that fixed cost was out there and she was obligated to make that payment wasn't worth the hypothetical amount she could make above that, with you know, taking some risk on some other money. So... That's and that's perfectly valid. You know, there's a mathematical answer, then there's the right answer for an individual. They're not always the same. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it's something that we talk about a lot and talk about on this podcast. But you know, the danger of doing a podcast like this is just because you do it one way doesn't necessarily yeah. mean everybody well, should. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and, and you know, I to me that's one of the things I harp on when people talk about things they've heard on the radio or read in books. It's like you're reading one size fits all advice and it's not right. it, you know, they mean well that there's a few particular people I'm thinking of and they, they mean well, but it doesn't fit for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me, is there something that you wish you knew when you were younger that you learned as a financial planner? When I it's interesting because I, uh, you know, we had we had our our daughter when we were very young and still trying to figure out how to um, how to how to do anything. And uh, you know, my people ask me, you know, what my finances were like in my early twenties. It was like, well, I was trying to pay off the diapers we put on credit cards. Right. You know, and, 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 it's, and, and so, so as a financial planner now, there wasn't anything I could have done about that, right? I mean, yeah, that was right. that was our that was our reality. But I worked, I I really really stressed about it, and I felt like we felt like we had to get it all fixed at once, and we we did, and we did fine. But I think if I was advising myself at that point, it would have been more along the lines of just relax. You're gonna, you know. You're going to, this, this will work out. It's, you know, play the long game here a little bit. So don't know what I would have done differently. You know, back to budgets, I, I would have started budgeting earlier because I would have, that would have evened things out. I, you know, and, and back to the idea of not being a natural at any of this, I would, you know, left to my own devices and not being exposed to, um, real world financial planning, dealing with clients when I was in my early 20s and working with clients that were in their late 50s and 60s who hadn't saved enough was the jolt to say, okay, no matter what, I'm going to start my 401k as soon as I'm eligible. 
like if I had, if if I had not gone into this field at that time, that would not have been my natural inclination. And uh, I'm not I was not trained in finance in college. This was not my my degree was in political science. I was hoping to work for the State Department, the CIA, or you know pretty much anything yeah. not involving math. And uh, <laughs> and and so. You know, I came out, right, right, right. And and so I came out and had a, and and, um, went into this field kind of by chance and, and, you know, no regrets. I think it's it's the best thing I ever did. But part of that was, you know, getting me to start thinking about my own money in a different, in a way that was not natural to me at the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I like the point about, you know, stressing out when you're in your 20s because i feel like everybody kind of goes through that and, and you know right. you, probably couldn't, you probably couldn't have done anything different but just imagine you know being able to not stress so much and, yeah. and knowing yeah. that everything was going to be okay i think is a huge thing and a lot of credence to you know we have younger people that um you know we, we talk to and, and work with on some cases and a lot of cases we're trying to help them find a financial planner that will be a better fit for them. But just to mm-hmm. be able to work with someone, to not worry about the stress and you know you have a, a forward-looking plan. Right. A thing. People, people complain about the younger generation. And I, I'm sure it's partially a function of the folks that seek us out. But I'm always, you know, the one that says, well, you know, they're not all financially irresponsible. They're not, you know, we've seen some pretty, uh, some pretty astute folks that, uh, 20 to 30 year old crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of stress and emotions, how do you handle investments and especially um, what about the emotions that come along with this? So there's two different answers here. And I think you'll, you'll be in tune with this. The markets stress me out because I'm a financial planner who has to help clients. The markets don't stress me out about my own money at all. It's like I'm, it's almost like a split personality. I, you know, I got my, I, I got started in this business in February of 2000. And if you pull out your stock traders almanac, um, <laughs> that is about a month before the NASDAQ peaked from the tech crash, you know. And so for the first three years of my career, nobody made a dime in stocks. And, and you know, it was, and, and my, I remember um, my manager at the time just saying, it's not always going to be like this. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, whatever. I've, <laughs> I, got, I have people crying in my office every day. It's not always going to be like this. But so, so in a way, you know, I, it, and, we, and we came through, you know, we've seen, we've seen these rises and these falls, but ultimately rises, right? And, and so personally, when the market drops, I'm still in a phase of my life where that's an opportunity. Okay. And so it, it doesn't bother me at all from the standpoint of, oh gosh, my 401k just dropped, you know, 10% last month. What am I going to do? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shovel more money in. Right. You know, uh, that's, that's my approach. Now, when my wife asks me how things are doing, I just tell her everything's fine and I smile. Because that's not her personality. <laughs> but, but, you know, if that doesn't bother me at all, where the markets bother me is, is looking at my calendar and saying, oh, I've got to meet with so-and-so and they're going to be stressed. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's part of the job. And that's, you know, that's just, that's just the nature of it. So really to answer your question, 
Um, I'm the ultimate contrarian with my own money. When everybody's excited and exuberant, I'm, you know, that's when I start to be a little more cautious because I still remember, you know, March of 2000 when 89 year old Grandma Smith would come into my office and say, My son in law says I need to put all my money in MCI WorldCom. Yeah. And, you know, and, and she, they would say it with a straight face because at that point, everybody believed that the market was just going to you know, especially dot-com stocks were just going to keep going up. And we yeah. joke about, like, looking back on that, that was our indicator, right? That right. it was time, time to be careful. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I tell, I tell this to clients all the time, when they come in and tell me how worried they are about stuff, that's, you know, to me, that means that things aren't, you know, when they tell me that they're just afraid the market can't keep going up the way it has, then, you know, the more people that think that, the more likely it is it can keep going up. And right. so, yeah. right. you know, that's, uh, you know, when everybody's putting their last dollar in, like Grandma Jones buying MCI WorldCom, that's when it's time to time to hit the exits. So, so I tend to be pretty, um, pretty non-emotional about my own money in the markets and try to take advantage of the ups and downs. Again, having that solid cash base where I know that if the markets took a severe downturn, I've got two, two, you know, six months worth of expenses and everything I plan to spend on top of that, you know, just in, in the next two years is, is in a nice safe savings account. That gives me that, that gives me stamina to, to ignore it the long-term money. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, I like that. The last question I had on here for you is, uh, do you, what, do you have some sort of complex secret that you don't tell clients that you're doing with your own money? Like you a know, super backdoor Roth IRA or something crazy? Well, first of all, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, for me, um, and it's not that, you know, some of those strategies aren't valid for certain people, but in my situation, there's there's just not a lot I can do that's fancy from a financial planning standpoint. If there was, you know, we'd be doing it. What I try to, you know, we try to put as much as we can into our retirement accounts. For us, you know, using pre-tax accounts rather than Roths makes sense, but I'm always looking for that opportunity if it makes sense to do something different there. But these aren't, you know, secret things. They're the same things we talk about clients with clients. I think I think one of the things that surprises clients, especially, you know, given when I started out, um, you know, it was more of a, uh, you know, picking stocks kind of role. And I think, you know, sometimes when we, we recommend, you know, these index-based, fairly passive type of strategies, quantitative strategies like dimensional funds, and they seem kind of boring, right? And I think people People think in the background, I'm telling them to do that while I'm buying, you know, 50 shares of this, and 200 shares of that, you know, doing right. fancy covered call strategies. And, you know, there have been times in my life when I did that stuff. I don't own a single individual stock right now, not a single one. And, and my portfolio, my IRAs from previous jobs are in the same exchange traded fund models we use with clients, albeit I'm using a riskier one. Than most of my clients, but it's the same strategy, you know. Yeah. Um, our 401k plan uses dimensional funds, which we recommend a lot to clients. I'm using dimensional funds there, and pretty plain vanilla, long-term kind of stuff. You know, a little bit of emerging markets, a little bit of real estate, but you know, pretty generic. So you know, 
there's not a lot of difference between what we recommend a client. There's no difference right now between what we recommend clients and what I do myself. There have been times when I've bought individual stocks. I was still doing a little of that up to three or four years ago. And I just said, you know what? I'm just spending too, you know, worrying about this too much. Same thing I would yeah. tell a client, you know, just, part of it was I just enjoy, you know, sure. The, I, and I, I remember telling the client this at the time. It's not that I'm expecting that's going to outperform the other things I'm doing. I just kind of enjoy it. And it's not going to do, it shouldn't really worse, you know? Yeah. So, so it was, it was more about staying engaged when I wasn't doing a lot of that for clients anymore, but still enjoyed the research. But at this point, eh, I'm not doing any of that. Other things along those lines, like I think clients expect that I'm probably like buying rental real estate and doing all kinds of fancy stuff to get depreciation and pass through, you know, write-offs and things. It's not for me. It's, and it's not, that, it's not that some of that stuff can't be good for the right person. I, I've been a landlord for a couple of years of my life. Absolutely hated it. Not for me, you know, and we've had that conversation before, so I won't belabor that. But, you know, it's pretty plain vanilla. I, it's, I wish it was more exciting, but it's not. Yeah, no, well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I've learned in working with you over the last couple of years is, you know, simple is all right. You know, there's something to be said about to have a simple strategy. You don't need a complex algorithm computer program to tell you when to get in and out of the right. market. You can be passive and um, still be successful. And so, you know, and, and I agree with all that. And so that's definitely yeah. one of the things I've learned from you in the last couple of years. And, you know, it's not sexy. It's not exciting, but it gets the job done. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. focus yeah. on other more important things. We've yeah. always got to keep in mind that Wall Street's spent the last 100 years, 150 years convincing us that that you could, if you just made it fancy enough, you could you could do better. But Really, that was about marketing more than anything having to do with reality. Yeah, really. The, you know, the evolution of we don't, you know, that's why they don't have commissions on stocks anymore because they found right. a different way to buy something. <laughs> right. Not that they're, right. They're still making money, I guarantee you. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, this has been fantastic, Dave. Uh, appreciate Good. your yep, insights. Um, hopefully, the, the clients enjoy this. And as always, if you have questions, please uh, email us at info at srbadvisors.com. And uh, definitely subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and uh, look forward to uh, next week's episode where we reverse the roles. So you can pull back the curtains on how I manage finances. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Gather round and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.